Brian Gab, he's Stuart Robson. No jewels. He's still on holiday, but he'll be back shortly. Never fear. Uh, gray, ugly, depressing. No, that's not Robbo. Oh, that's that not would be Mark Ogden. No, no, no. no. It's the so. it's the weather because I think I think God is finally mourning for the fact that Italy won't be going to the World Cup. That long um, last them exactly. But we have a full show for you today. So much going on. Barcelona and Sevilla. Chelsea losing, United drawing, City and Liverpool winning, Bayern controversy, 12 Mm -hmm. men, Dortmund sticking it up. But I think there's one evident place to start here with the help of Don Hutchinson, and it's Juventus against Inter. Don, I want to start with you because Juve have had this incredible uh, unbeaten streak in Serie A where many times they haven't played well, but they've won. Um, Here, I thought they played well. I thought they attacked. They went for it. They should have had more out of the game. They've got some grievances as well. And yet, they lose. Shoes on the other foot here. You can't fault a single player, Gab Stewart. It was one of them games where every player that stepped onto that pitch last night put in a brilliant performance. Juve, I thought, were very unlucky that they never come away with anything from the game because that's the best I've seen them. Uh, the intensity was there. They were closing down. They were winning the 50-50s. They were getting balls into Barla's feet. Morata looked very sharp. Vlavic had chances. It was just a brilliant game of football. It was wild. But from Juve's point of view, to come away with zero feels a little bit harsh on them. But some performance, some away performance from Inter. It finished 1-0 to Inter. Mm. And the only goal came towards the end of of the first half. Quick recap for it. Um, Alexandro and Morata coming together with with Dumfries. I thought it was a soft penalty. Um, Went to VAR. VAR gives the penalty. Uh, Shalinoglu from the spot. He has his penalty saved. Mm-hmm. Then he runs. He puts in the rebound. But then somehow that goal gets disallowed. And it's, there's confusion. It's not clear. And then VR says, no, no. Take the penalty again because Matthijs Delict was yeah, in the yeah. box. Which he he takes it again. He buries it in the box. Now, by the law, that whole procedure is correct. It seemed a bit weird to me. But apparently the guy being in the box trumps anything that happens afterwards. Yep. And it's not like you can give advantage on it. Um, that's something I discovered Last night, I am not a referee, but I want to ask about the penalty because that is the big sticking point. Adrian Rabio very harsh about it. We found out later the penalty was given because VAR spotted essentially a stamp on Dumfries' foot, his foot coming down um, on, on, on top of Dumfries' foot. Hey, Don, it still felt soft to me, but apparently that's the IFAB directive. Yeah, it was uh, a nightmare for myself and Adam Summerton commentating on the game because there was so much going on. Uh, and you're right, um, you know, when Maratta and, and you used the word stamp, but it wasn't a sort of stamp. He was trying to get his body across, but his, his foot then caught the laces of Daniel, Dun- Daniel Dumfries. Daniel Dumfries, excuse me. And he then caught him. And then there was so much going on because it took five or six minutes for the referee and the VAR team to try and spot. And we only had one or two angles and replays of it and my initial thought like you Gab I thought it looked soft and it looked really soft and only when you see more pictures and more evidence then I think it leans more towards being a penalty but it was the whole confusion what happened after that so that you're right in saying in in order what happened but initially when Szczesny made the save the referee then blew from a foul as the ball went over the back of the back of the line and into the net the referee blew from a foul from Channel Olu, and you're thinking, I don't see a foul there from Channel Olu. I don't see a foul whatsoever. 
Then the VAR guys give the referee more information that Delict was inside the box and he was the player that then put the block on, which was 100% correct. So it was the whole procedure that took yeah. time and took emotion, which was incredible. And Max Allegri, the pictures of Max Allegri taking his jacket <laughs> off and throwing Brilliant. it was incredible. That was bit Robert, I, I just want to get you on this because mm. anybody who's played football at any level knows that sometimes mm. your foot will come down yeah. uh, and you'll step on somebody else's foot. This directive, this kind of this, this, this blanket directive that, look, whether it's violent or not, mm. you are impeding the other person mm. when you do that, so it's a foul. Does that feel right to you? Not really, because, yeah, as, as Don just said, if it's a stamp and a, a stamp that's done on purpose, then it should be a foul and it should, probably should be a yellow card. It should be a penalty. But when it's an accident, when it's just your stride taking you onto the other person's foot, that's not always a foul. It can't always be a but foul. You, you, can't, you can't use the benchmark, is it an accident or not, because when you go for an honest tackle, you're presumably not trying to foul no. the other person, and yet it's still a foul, right, if you impede his progress. That's what makes it difficult. But when two, when two players are, are, as you run, and you're lifting your foot up and putting it back down again, there'll always be sometimes where you, you, yeah. you're, you're vying for the same spot on the, on the grass. It, I think it's, it, was a, it was a very, very soft penalty. I, I agree. It, it, didn't, it didn't feel right to me, Don. And, mm. you know, and I think this is one of those things. I'm pro-VAR, but it's one of those things mm. that in a pre-VAR world, I don't think that ever gets called. No. Also because the referee's not necessarily looking for that. He's looking for contact yeah. further up. It's easy to be unsighted when it's down on the ground. I want to ask you where this leads to the title race. Um, Milan playing this evening. Of course, they're top of the table, level with Napoli on 66 points. Inter three points back. They have the game in hand. Did Inter look like potential champions to you? Or is it fair to say that their bad run of form continues despite the three points? No, they look like champions to me. I mean, I know their form was pretty bad. I was looking at the numbers before the game, guys, and it was unbeaten in seven, scoring 22 goals at the start of the season. And their last seven, only one win, two clean sheets. Apart from the five against Salernitana, they'd not been scoring goals. They were bang out of form. Arrigo Saki, the great Arrigo Saki, was calling for Inzaghi to change to a back three, to go to a back four. He's the oracle on tactics, not me. <laughs> and then they went away, and they went away last night. And it was that performance that Stu will understand when you're away from home in the lion's den and you've got a graft and you've got a fight and you've got to survive the first 20 minutes, half an hour. And Inter only just done that, but they, they showed great willingness and great spirit to stay in the game. And then they got the, they got the penalty just on half time. Second half, they played so much better. There was a little bit more freedom about them. The three guys in midfield, I thought, kept the ball really, really well. One of Barella's best games for quite a while. Channel Olu got right. his goal. Um, and they mixed it up quite well. They knew when to go long. They knew when to play short into midfield. So as away performances go, in a difficult yeah. environment, in a hostile environment, top-class performance from Inter. I take on board what Don says. I'm always about, all right, performance, who's playing yeah. well, and so ever. But equally, I can't shake the fact here, and I'd love to hear from both of you on, on, on this one. Obviously, Don, you were watching the game very closely. Allegri went out there to attack. I think he really caught... Inter off guard. Mm. Um, they got back into it and they had legit chances afterwards. The, the Correa chance where yeah. he was all off balance when he finished and whatever. So you can say, well, they could have added, they could, they could, Inter could have scored more. But I would say, yeah, but that's after they took the lead, after they got mm. outplayed in the first half. Um, sometimes teams just have this, the, 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 these spells where. You, you, yeah, you have to have that bit of luck. Yeah, and Don's absolutely right. They defended 
well throughout the game. They showed a lot of spirit. They kept the ball better in the second half. They defended for their lives when the balls came into the box. But you've got to remember Vlaovic, with that brilliant turn just outside the box, should have scored. Chiellini hit the bar early yep. on in the game from a, from a set play. And they were caught, I think, a little bit And they hit the woodwork guard. another time yeah, too. Yeah, Zakaria when he came on. Uh, and I think they were caught a bit off guard, as you were saying, because Morata was playing on the left-hand side, coming in from that left-hand side. Sandro was getting high and wide on the left-hand side. Dybala playing in the hole behind the main centre-forward. So it was a very attacking lineup that Juventus put out. And for much of that first half, they dominated the game, but didn't take their chances. And Inter had that bit of luck. And you need that bit of luck when you are playing away from home against the top sides. And Juventus, over the last few weeks, have been a top side. But it might just be the springboard for Inter to go on and win the title. Darren, I want to ask you about this, about Allegri's lineup and his setup, because I've long been a promoting mm. that you can't play, defend, and counter and win. It's very, mm. very difficult to mm. go and do that. You have to take to the opposition. And it's been one of my criticisms, perhaps, of Allegri. That, but... Did we see that Juve can actually do that? That you can actually play this 4-2-3-1? It can get into your DNA at home. You can go and just batter the opposition and, and want the ball and keep the ball and, and really engage them high up the pitch? Or I thought they were great. I thought they were great. Why don't they do this more often? Where, I know. Well, where, where I've watched Juve over the, the, the past season or so, and I keep seeing Max Allegri sometimes revert to a 4-4-2, and that's fine. Tactics are tactics. As I said before, I'm not a guru on tactics. But when I see individual players playing in that system, i.e. Rabio playing as a left-sided player, a left winger, if you like, because he's in a 4-4-2, I'm thinking, no, that's not his position. Mm. He played centrally last night, and I thought he had one of his best games. I thought he was at standing. So that's the system. Well, that's the, that's the system to match that personnel. Dybala, as Stu said, was in the hole. Morata's so much better now. Vlaovic is in the team because the focus is now on or not on Morata playing as a number nine, but he's back to play. He can face the play. He can try his tricks, and he, he works a lot harder rather than being the focal point. So as performances go, he must be scratching his head, Allegri thinking, we couldn't have done much more last night. As you said, the chances, they got their luck. I mean, the big turning points in the game was obviously the penalty, the discussion about maybe a Bastoni foul in the second half. Juve could have had a penalty. Should Lautaro La Martinez actually been pitch inside half yeah, an hour we're gonna so get it we're gonna get to Lautaro in a minute yeah his games goes Gab it was absolutely wild um I look I, I think if you're a Juve fan if I were a Juve fan mm. which I'm not but I would say you're anything but a Juve fan aren't you yeah well I, I, <laughs> I would say Max stick with this yeah yeah stick with some yeah. version I know Dybala's leaving or whatever mm. but 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 stick with this attitude mm. and maybe you know if 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 Morata's not there. Maybe you play Moise Ken. Uh, maybe you play Bernardeschi on the other side. You've got alternatives. But this has to be the framework, at least in terms of attitude, of being proactive, of taking the game to the opposition. This whole fino alla fine, like stuff, like till the end, uh, you know, yeah, it's fine. Those days, are, those days are gone. They're not coming back. You need to have players who want to play the ball and who go and engage in attack. And you show that you can do it. To win the title, to win the Champions League, to win whatever tournament you're in, you have to be a proactive side. You have to have possibly more of the ball in the top third of the field. You have to go and win the ball high up the field. You have to be the dominant side. That's what Juventus were under Antonio Conte those first three years. That's what they were when Max Allegri first took over. I'm not sure why he's changed in this second uh, situation. When well, he, I'd argue he changed probably towards the end of his, mm, of his yeah, first four yes. Then they tried to change it with, with Sarri and Pirlo, and for many reasons it didn't work. Um, also because I think the players just weren't suited mm. to it, and they had Cristiano who required yeah. a, certain, yeah. you know, a, a certain way of playing. But, but man, I, 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 if I'm Juve, 
I'm disappointed for the result, but I look around and I see that Atalanta lost. Good and I'm thinking to myself, we well. you know what? We played well. I feel more confident about finishing top four, not less confident, despite the I defeat. fully agree with you, Kev. Fully Let's agree. get to the Lautaro incident because I thought as a group, inter-strikers were poor, whether it's mm. Checo, whether it's Correa, who missed a big chance, or whether it's, it's Lautaro. Uh, Don, you got a booking in the first minute for essentially whacking uh, Locatelli in the face. And Locatelli later had to come mm. off. Um, and I thought that, you know, that's another blow for, for, mm. for Juve, by the way. And then the second one, that clash with Chiellini, in real time, it looked to me like maybe the referee wasn't 100% sure who fouled who and whatever. But when you watch it again, it's not good. That, that was a second yellow, right? Oh, definitely. And that was actually the third one. There was a little, there was a little sort of misdemeanor in between there where it was a little push. Well, that was by the by. That was just a sort of secondary foul. That sort of happens. But the foul on Locatelli in the first minute when he cut the top of his eye, definite yellow card, not a red. Then there was a 50-50 um, in and around the halfway line between himself and Chiellini. And Chiellini got there first. And then he didn't just lose out in the 50-50 then, Latella Martinez. He actually left his left foot in and caught Chiellini. And as Chiellini does... And as ex any experienced professional would do, he rolled around, he had grimaces on his faces like he snapped his leg in half and he was making sure the whole world, including the referee, knew that Latala Martinez caught him. And I said in comms, I went, if he survives this and doesn't get a red card, a second yellow, he's a very, very lucky man. He was pumped up for hey. the game. But that's where Inter got their look. He should have been sent off. Don, um... You said any experienced professional would roll around and grimace and so on. Mm. Now, I can't say I remember Robbo as an experienced professional because of slightly before my time and your career also Ooh, ended a little early. He's played the youth, he's played the youth card, Robbo. But mm. I remember yeah. you as an experienced, as an old professional. I don't remember you rolling around on the ground for hours over and over again. Like, is it something no, you wish you'd is... done more of? No, but you would, Gab. You would. I guarantee you, she'll back me up. Oh, Rob was made. Rob was shaking his head. Oh, we played at a different no, time, Don. We played at a someone, di slightly different time, to Don. Someone, to get someone sent off in a game for a legitimate second yellow card, I do not blame Chiellini one bit. So did you do that, Don? Because I'm going to ask Rob the same question. Definitely. 100% to get someone sent off, yeah. But again, oh. I played at a different era when there weren't many sending offs. You had to do something really bad to get somebody sent off. So it was almost a badge of honour that if you got fouled, you'd get up and sort of, yeah, that didn't hurt. I mean... So there was no point doing there was no, it. There was no point doing it because you weren't going to get anybody sent off. It, it is true. It's one of those weird... I remember, like, being a kid and, like... I remember, like, wasn't it, like, the first player sent off in the FA Cup final was, like... Kevin Moran in 1980, that, whatever it was. That was after, like, they played yeah. 100 FA yeah. Cup finals and yeah. nobody got sent yeah. off. I mean, that's pretty uh, extraordinary, right? The, the, the famous <laughs> Vinnie Jones would would come in and, and kick you and stamp on you, and I always just is that the best you can do? Is that the best you can do? Which used to wind him up even more. So you didn't show you were injured in those days because it's all changed because you didn't get anybody sent off. Right, sure. But I understand what Don's saying. If you think you can get somebody sent off, that's why the players do it now because they know they're going to throw it to VAR, and you might well have made a bad challenge. Uh, Don. Um Final point here on 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 Juve, oh, sorry, on, on on Inter here, because you talked about how well the midfield worked. I I, I saw Barella really running himself into the ground mm. with so much energy. Uh, Brozovic at the beginning was was shielded by by DiBala, struggled a little bit later. It kind of opened up a little. Yep. You know, Shalinoglu again with the penalty. Um, they really carried Inter at this stage, didn't they? 
Yeah, they did. It was, as I said, because, or as we've said, Juve started the game so fast. So when you're away from home and you've got to dig in and you can't find any balls into Latella Martinez or Edin Dzeko, the midfield have to be brave. Defenders have to defend and put their body on the line. And Handanovic had to make one or two sort of long-distance saves. He looked a little bit nervy, I must say. But the midfield three, they knew when to dig in. They knew because of their experience, the clock, where they're at in the game, the points of the game. Then second half, once it got a little bit stretched, Brozovic used the ball so much better. But like I said, that's that's the throwback of these sort of older games and this this monumental game for Inter. When you're away from home, they've dug in, they've ground out a performance. I said in the comms, it's one win and seven. Well, one win and seven, one win and Schmevin. You can, you can bury that. <laughs> you've just got the Juve and you've just dumped, you've just dumped Juve uh, at the title race. So and you're I, three points closer to Napoli and you're three points closer to Milan. What's a win? From an entertainment perspective, I, mean, I was on the show last time with Frank LaBeouf and Frank LaBeouf said he thought it was a horrible game because oh, there, there wow. was rolling around on the ground and there wasn't that much quality. I was thoroughly entertained throughout. Mm-hmm. Um... Because I love it when teams are out there trying to win any means necessary. Maybe it wasn't always as pretty, like as. But watching. don't you think there's? A, 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 I still get very frustrated. I'm not talking about Frank in particular, but there's an ignorance about Italian football. You know, people have this thing. Oh well, it's boring. It's this. The, it's too defensive. It's nothing of the sort these days. You see some no. great games in Serie A. Teams no, no, that I, want I, to play on the front. His foot. complaint wasn't that it was defensive. It was more that. Uh, there was there was there was too much fouling. There there, there was there was too much with the referee. Too many players getting booked. And that's what happens in football. And I, I thought it was intense. And I was yeah, it was a rough ride. But that was part of the drama, Don. Right? Loved it. I, I loved I, I loved the style of the game. I loved mm-hmm. the passion of the game. I loved the quality of the game. The fans made that atmosphere unreal. I'm sure everyone sitting at home yeah. watching the game was sitting back and just watching the game unfold as we were hectic. The commentate on. But as I said, as I said before, every single player that stepped out on the pitch done their job and produced a fantastic game of football. Hard for the managers, by the way, because every time a player got a yellow card, Inzaghi would take one of his players off and get fresh legs, fearing to go down to 10. Allegri was the same. As soon as got, someone got booked for Juve, he'd take one off and put one on. So it was just a wild game to watch, but an entertaining. And I disagree with Frank completely. I thought it was loads of quality out there. Yeah, I, I, I enjoy myself. Final point on this, you made, great point you made about the atmosphere and, and, mm. and the fans. And look, the, 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 the theme of the ultras, their role in football and mm. stuff like that often gets debated. Uh, do they have too much influence and so on? What I thought was interesting about this game is Juve Ultras obviously not there for reasons that, that we all know about. Um, Inter Ultras not making the trip, many of them, because they felt that they were unhappy with the way that the, the, the ticketing was done and surcharges and protest against you mm. or whatever. And yet still, it was a cracking atmosphere. Mm. Um, I, I think maybe that should give some people some food for thought. Don, thank you so much. Cheers, guys. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. 
And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Gab. Just go to Indeed.com slash Gab right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Gab. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, enough Juve. Uh, Robbo, just when mm. you thought Chelsea and Thomas Tuchel had things back under control again, mm. what do they do a few days ahead of this, with all the turmoil off the pitch happening with Roman Abramovich mm. and the sale, which we'll get to in a minute, what do they do? They play at home against mm. Little Brentford, you know, the stadium by the bus stop a few minutes away, and they lose 4-1 just a few days ahead of that huge clash against Real Madrid. Yes, uh, and Chelsea didn't start the game particularly well. It started with Mendy with a pass out from the back. He gives it away and Tony should score and lifts it over him. And from that moment on, you just felt Chelsea were on edge. They didn't defend particularly well. There's a couple of crosses that came into the box. They were loose all around the field. They didn't play with enough pace when they were going forward, enough invention when they were going forward. He started with Ziyech, who I really like, on the right-hand side. Timo Werner's still not the player, nowhere near the player he was when he was playing in Germany. And Havertz playing as the centre forward you know I know people like him as a centre forward I still don't see him as an out and out centre forward uh, so I thought they struggled throughout the game yes they got the the, the opening goal through Rudiger with a magnificent shot but overall they were although they had more possession they had I think 71% they didn't create any more chances than Brentford did and Brentford probably deserved their victory also this formation with this back four it just never looks no it doesn't look I mean the advantage of the back four in Chelsea's view, and obviously this is forced because mm. of Chilwell and James came mm. on, but he's not fully fit. The advantage of the back four, I, I presume, is that you've got wingers who can put in crosses, mm. right? You can, you've got more wits and so on, because your two fullbacks end up basically being centre backs playing at fullback, right? Yeah. Um, although he did have Alonso playing, to be mm. fair, but it looks like he didn't exploit it. And I, and I wonder if some of that is also to do with what was happening in the middle of the park where there was no Jorginho, but you had Ruben Loftus-Cheek, who's yeah. just a completely different type of player. Well, I've, I've seen Chelsea play with the back four in, in, in a couple of FA Cup games and with Ziyech and Aspilicueta down the right-hand side. And they've usually worked quite well together. But Alonso was the player that was trying to get forward. Aspilicueta was trying to get forward as well to try and overlap and create the overload. And it left them at the centre-half position, a little bit open at times. And Loftus-Cheek, I don't think, has got a great defensive, defensive understanding. Conte, I thought, would be the player to play in the, in the, the holding role, but he was playing uh, one side of uh, Loftus-Cheek, and Loftus-Cheek was meant to be that holding player to go between his centre-halves and uh, provide that extra bit of cover. And he didn't do that particularly well. And the centre-halves, for once, and I think Thiago Silva's been magnificent throughout the season, didn't play at his best and Rudiger likewise didn't see the danger and they were looking around at everybody else Alonso wasn't quite back in position at times when crosses were coming into the box so it was a disjointed display by Chelsea and, and one that I didn't really see coming Chaco Silva's wife taking to uh, social media mm. and saying like lay off my husband he's human he's not a machine <laughs> uh, which, which I thought was, was, yeah. was, was kind of sweet and also yeah. like I, I don't know I kind of feel like does your wife defend you on Twitter and things no, like that no, no never no, no. never but I do wonder though I mean, picking on Thiago Silva is a little bit, mm. you know, the dude's 36, he's given everything. Mm. You know what he can do yeah. and you know what his, what, what his limits are. But I wanted to ask you, defensively, I think there were a whole bunch of screw-ups mm. in that game. Um, and 
the Christian Eriksen goal in particular, we're talking mm. about it off air, right? So it's a counterattack. The ball goes to, I think it was um, Embuemo on, on Embuemo, the left yeah. side. And Christian Eriksen is running up the pitch. Christian Eriksen, heart or no heart, he's a middle distance runner. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. He yeah. covers a lot of ground slowly. Yeah, yeah. Right? He's not, he never was fast. It's difficult. Can you just just run us through a little bit about how it's possible that Christian Eriksen cannot run everybody and be completely unmarked well, he in was, the area? When he took up the position, because it was a, I think it might have been a set play for Chelsea, and when it was cleared, as always, N'Golo Conte was the was the player on the halfway line, and Alonso was on the right hand side. I think he lost out to Mbouma, and Mbouma was quick, so he started running the. But Eriksen was almost by his side, and Eriksen all started running straight, and then veered off to really? the to the to the right hand side so the players on the left hand side Alonso wasn't there he'd have been the player recovering normally on the left hand side so there was nobody coming back on that side Conte had a decision coming towards the end of Mbuomo's run do I go to Mbuomo and stop him shooting or do I cut off the pass to Ericsson and he tried to do both and he almost did it perfectly he tried to hold up the play he got in line with the pass the pass went between his legs and Mbuomo got a bit lucky but it was the right run from Ericsson Thiago Silva, I think, was one of the players trying to get right. back. There was uh, okay. Alonso right. didn't so get back. You don't want base. to show Ericsson love for his first Premier League goal. Oh, I do. Yeah, okay, yeah, no, the the, the movement was excellent because he went towards the, the ball, well, then realised, no, that wasn't where the space is, and went the other way. And it was a good finish as well. Hey, Robbo. So just to give a little update mm. on the sale of Chelsea, this never-ending thing filled with questions. You're buying it? No, it's not going to be me. Okay. Um, so April 11th is a deadline for the next set of bids, but, I mean... Deadline schmedline, yeah. right? Uh, most people say there's four left in there. Um, what's interesting is this isn't something where one person comes and buys it. There's all groups of billionaires banding mm -hmm. together, which I think is really interesting from a governance perspective in terms of what happens next. But yeah. the one that we're told in some ways is in the driving seat is the Ricketts family. Right? Why they're in the driving seat? I presume maybe they made the highest bid. I don't know. There's a lot of stuff that we mm -hmm. don't know here. But and then, by the way, it's not just the Ricketts family. They've got they've teamed up with others, of course. But there's been a big backlash, which we've talked about against sort of the patriarch for comments he's made in the past about Muslims. There's the um, where he said Muslims are my enemy. The him who's going to be directly involved, but it has definitely affected things. Mm -hmm. And Chelsea supporters trust, you know, releasing a statement saying that they pulled their supporters. Seventy-seven percent have a negative opinion. Yeah of the Ricketts family, um, that's tough to overcome. And so they've kind of been on a PR offensive. And one of the things they've said is they've pledged never to join a Super League. Um, I'm assuming, whatever your thoughts are on this, but if the people who owned your club made a pledge like that, would your instinct be to believe them? Not really, no, no. I uh, then, but I'm quite cynical, so uh, yeah, no, I wouldn't say I would believe them. They're they're buying the club because they want to make money, and they and lots of people think that the best way to make money as a as a super club is to go into a, a super European league. Um, I, I really can't, I really can't answer that question. Um, but as as the supporters, they obviously aren't happy with them at the moment, and if somebody takes over that's never going to be popular it doesn't work does it as we've seen with the glaziers at times yeah i mean i think to some degree you can you can win people over um, it takes a long time but i think a lot of times when we see the sale of a club mm. it's often an unpopular owner say mm. mike ashley yeah 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 you know being replaced by somebody new who you might have reservations about or whatever and so in some ways it makes it easier here 
you're replacing somebody who, leaving the political side of things mm. aside, was extremely popular yeah. with Chelsea fans before the way they invested the fight of yeah, exactly. So it is a tough act to follow, and and I think I think that's part of what makes mm. you know the Ricketts bid what makes him a bit uneasy. What I find fascinating though is that you have supporters of Real Madrid and Juventus, and among others, saying like, "Oh." You're all idiots. We need a super league for for Europe to survive. Otherwise, mm, mm. we'll be dominated by petrodollar clubs and blah blah blah, right? And you know, and they're angry that there is no super league. And here we have somebody coming in, buying a club that's or, or bidding for a club that you know, in some ways, in the context of football, is nouveau riche, right? Yeah, of course it is. Telling the fans, making it kind of a central platform. I will never join a super league um, unless it, another, unless another ten uh, join it and not, we're left out. I mean, look, you either believe it or not, but like, if we are wise, that, that's the point he's pushing. But yes, of course, if, if every other big club yeah. goes and joins a Super League and he's under pressure, and also, you know, Ricketts may be the lead investor, but there are other groups in there. Some of them are wealthy individuals. Some of them are private equity uh, types who say, hey, I'm a private equity fund. Hmm. It's not my money. It's my investor's money. I got to look out for my investors. If my investors think Super we want to return, it, yeah. Super League is it. Yeah. I have a fiduciary duty to do what they tell me to do. You know, because this is another point that people, that I think people often miss out on, is the Glazers, it's their money. Or rather, as we know, it's the bank's money. Yeah, yeah. Bought the, whatever, right? So they can answer for themselves. But others, where you are, when you are owned by a fund, you yeah. know, you've got fiduciary responsibilities. You've got to look after their money. Yeah, which I think is another point that's not always part of the conversation. I want to ask you about Brentford because... Obviously, it's a tremendous story. We know mm. what happened. Matthew Benham helping to kind of invest in the club, yeah. build the club. They do things very differently. Um, I'm fascinated. You know, in this game against Chelsea, they had less than 30% possession. Mm. Um, and so much of their game seems to be about energy, second balls, mm. and transition. I think together with a whole bunch of tactical awareness off the ball. Mm. I mean, yeah, I actually yeah. think they defend really, really well. Mm. And they're very smart about it. Mm. I mean, is that a patronising thing to say? Or no, I think I think because if you looked at them player for player, uh, you wouldn't say Brentford have got top class players. They've got some good players, but you wouldn't say any of their players are absolutely top class players. Well, I asked you this, right? Yeah. Ericsson aside. Yeah. Well, I like the how front many team. how many players how many Brentford players do you think would start for teams not in the relegation zone? In the Premier League, not very many. So, in other words, not Norwich. Norwich, you would say most of them, right? Yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah. Not Take very Norwich many. and burn the other. I, I like the front two from what I saw last season. They've played well in certain games because sometimes they're isolated. The front two, and they do well at working together. They flick on balls for each other. They've got a bit of pace with Imbermo running in behind. Tony's a good finisher and good with his back to goal and can hold up the play. But they're quite often isolated. So those two do a, a, a good job. Um, you know, they've got a, a decent left wing back in, in Rico Henry who can get forward and get crosses into the box. But overall, it's a, it's a team effort. It's the way the manager sets them up. It's the way they understand the game. And against Chelsea, it was set up for them. They've got three big centre-halves that can deal with balls into the box. And Chelsea don't have a, a big striker. Oh, no, they don't. Oh, no, Romelu Lukaku only comes on yeah. 20 minutes from time with a 3-1 down. So they allow the ball to go wide, They and Chelsea are then re reluctant to yeah, play did, into the box. Can you explain that, the Lukaku not coming on? I mean, I don't... I, well, it was obvious. After I understand. When you're, th you're, you're, you're down at home, mm. the clock is ticking. 
I mean, and, but also even even when Rudiger scores the goal, Chelsea still weren't playing particularly well. They, they although they had seventy one percent of the ball, they didn't create that many clear cut opportunities. Brentford probably had the better opportunities, so there was a they had to change the way the game was going. You know, you can have all that. So you've got to, at some point if a team wants to let you have space out wide, you've got to try and threaten them by playing balls into the box. And right. Chelsea don't do that enough at times. Is he keeping him fresh or Real Madrid? Uh, I don't think he'll play against Real Madrid, that's for sure. Can you explain this thing with the second balls? Because I remember uh, I remember years ago mm-hmm. uh, when, when Guardiola was having a rough patch and people mm-hmm. are talking about, oh, well, your team's not good at tackling, you don't win mm-hmm. second balls. And he's like, what is tackling? What is second balls? I don't remember. I mean, he was taken out of context, obviously. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. yeah. Um, one of the reasons... Well, one of the reasons, many, many reasons I was given for Italy not being at the World Cup is also like, oh, we don't win enough second balls. Mm. Can you explain what a second ball is and why Brentford are so good at winning second balls? Well, second balls, as a the midfield, when, when, I, when I was playing in midfield, everything was about second balls. So when the goalkeeper kicked the ball long and you're up against another midfield player, the opposition's midfield player, and this, the centre half and your centre forward go up and head the ball or try and make contact right. with the ball, when it drops down, You've got to try and be first. That's a second ball. You've got to right. try and be... So if you get control of it, now you're in control of the game. You play your next pass and your team are on the front foot. In other words, what they call often like dirty balls. When, when somebody yeah, yeah. when the ball comes out and it's, miscontrol, it's, yeah. it's, it's miscontrolled or so on yeah. and it suddenly becomes available to whoever gets there first. I'll give you a great example of a game that was won by... And, and Inter actually played well on the day. A game that was won by a team that were better at winning the second balls because they were quicker and more alert. Liverpool against Inter in the first game um, at the San Siro. Every time the ball dropped in midfield, you thought that Liverpool players were going to get onto it because they were a little bit sharper. And that started the counter-attacks. Uh, whereas Inter didn't have that pace in midfield or didn't have the awareness to go and win that second ball. Vidal was trying to, but he couldn't quite get there. So second balls are all about winning those dirty balls as you can. So how do, why are Brentford good at it? Like, how do you coach that? How do you teach that? Because you put it into the players' minds. You know, you've got to win that second ball. You know, as the ball's travelling, you know, get to the second ball, follow up the play. You know, and and because it, it seems basic, right? You're yeah. out there on the pitch, you're trying your hardest. I mean, to a layman, you would think, well, there's no reason that everybody wouldn't be trying to do this. Or so Chelsea's midfield, when the ball's being played up, they expect Thiago Silva to chest the ball down and come out with it. So they're making an angle to receive the ball rather than waiting for the for the for the knockdown. Right. And if Thiago Silva's ball or control isn't perfect, there's a second ball to be won and the other Chelsea players aren't ready. Yeah. There you go. See? Fount of tactical and football knowledge, one of many reasons we have to Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing. However you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launcher online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million dollar stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify is your no excuses business partner. Sell without needing to code or design. Just bring your best ideas and Shopify will help you open up shop. What I love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Because businesses that grow 
grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash gabjewels, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash g-a-b-j-u-l-s now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash gabjewels. All right, enough, Chelsea. How about some quick hits instead? Let's do it, Gab. A Pedri wonder goal, and I do say wonder goal. You're mm. going to explain to us what he did. Gives Barcelona a 1-0 win over Sevilla. Robo, maybe it wasn't Barca's best performance of late, and they've had some very good ones, but it's hard not to wax lyrical over First this of all, kid. I, I don't think it was a bad performance. They created all the chances. They were. Hey, Sevilla had their opportunities yeah, on the break. Barcelona were much better. This boy is a wonder player, as you just mentioned. I mean, the goal, the ability to change your mind, to change direction, to buy that little bit of space. and he then put two such... guys on their backsides. Brilliant, absolutely Breaking brilliant. ankles, baby. And, yeah. then he, and then that finish. How does he hit it? He's such a little scrawny guy and he hits it so viciously. Technique, um, right contact on the ball, brilliant. He's, he's going to be an, out, he's an outstanding player. Now, Manchester United draw with Leicester, one all at home. And they play with Fernandez as the centre forward. What's going on, Gab? How did it work out? Well, hey, look, I mean, you know, action stations. No Cristiano Ronaldo, no Edinson Cavani, no Mason Greenwood. Marcus Rashford still can't start. And you'd still rather play Bruno Fernandez mm. through the middle. I mean, Alanga and Sancho, theoretically wide. Maybe they mm. were supposed to come inside ahead of him. He drops off, he goes forward. And it didn't work. And, and you know, Leicester... Up and down. I know Fofana mm-hmm. was back. They had the better chances. I, I thought Leicester could have yeah. easily won that game. Um, it goes to show that I think center forward has to be the number one priority. Uh, or or yeah. one of the top priorities uh, for United this summer. Real Madrid win 2-1 away at Celta Vigo, but they benefit from not one, not two, but three penalties. They would make two of them, uh, both Karim Benzema, obviously. Some folks are rather cross about it. How did you see it? Well, I was commentating on the game, and I would have to say the referee got every decision right with the help of VAR. The Furlan Mendy one as well? Yes. You sure about that? Yeah, I think they're all penalties. I think uh, Furlan Mendy came inside, the defender dangled his leg out, and he's going across him. He's coming into the box to shoot with his right foot. It's a, he gets two square the defender. It's a penalty. They're, they're not uh, bad tackles, but they are penalties. And the disallowed goal... Uh, that was also the right decision because Aspas was interfering with the player getting back onto the line. It was funny. So, with hindsight, if Aspas just stops, mm. do you think Alaba clears it? I think he might have gone on. He'd gone on a straighter line to the ball because yeah. he had to run, try and run round Aspas, yeah. and then then miss the ball. Crazy backspin bounce. Oh my! Goodness. But Aspas was. To, to a certain degree, he was clever to know that he might have just been a fraction offside and not touched the ball. But what he yeah. should have done is get completely out, out the way. Now, staying with uh, Madrid, your old pal Ancelotti got COVID. So was that his son on the bench? Yeah, so it was weird. It was his uh, um, son, David Ancelotti, mm-hmm. who was on the bench. Uh, but because he doesn't have his pro license, mm-hmm. he's not officially the number two. So he wasn't allowed to go and give instructions to the players. Mm-hmm. Um, Alban Perdomo was the guy who was doing it, but Alban Perdomo isn't really part of Ancelotti's staff. He's, he runs, <laughs> he runs the, the, yeah. the youth academy, Robert, yeah, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. Where, and and David Ancelotti spent the whole time on the bench on the phone with his dad. So hang on. So you were on the phone to 
Carlo. Carlo was then telling David what was going on, and David was then telling the coach what was going on. Precisely. So you, so in other words, you were running the team. That's exactly it. I was in charge. Well, Fred gave Liverpool a fight, but Jurgen Klopp's crew nevertheless emerges 2-0 victors. Robbo, they deserved it, but... Roy Hodgson will be ruling those missed chances. Yeah, because Liverpool certainly weren't at their best uh, at the start of the game. Liverpool uh, didn't, I didn't think, press the ball particularly well. And Watford played OK on the counter-attack. Kuchka had 1v1 and Hernandez had a couple of chances. So it was a, Joe Pedro as well. Yeah, Joe Pedro chance. that just got it over the top of the crossbar or down the side of the, the, the post. So, yeah, he'll be ruining that. It was a, it was an OK performance by Liverpool. They just about did enough to I think win. you realise how, how big Trent Alexander-Arnold's shoes are yes. and how like, Joe Gomez is a centre-back. I mean, but he did put, you, a good I, ball, put a great ball in for Jota's goal. PSG destroy Lorient 5-1. Uh, Mbappe, Neymar and Messi all start and they all score. But um, Mauricio Pochettino was booed by his own fans. Gab, neither of these things are the story, though, at Parc des Princes. No, remarkably not. The story is the fact that they ask, you know, Kylian Mbappe after the game for the 10 millionth time, are you going to extend your contract at Paris Saint-Germain? And he says... I haven't decided yet, but there are some new elements to be considered. Mm-hmm. Now, everybody's wondering, what are these new factors? Mm-hmm. Uh, Real Madrid offering more money? Yep. Did Paris Saint-Germain sweeten the deal? Do we know something about what the Qataris are supposed to do after, are going to do after the World Cup? Does it have to do with Lionel Messi and those sort of enigmatic words he put out um, about you know, reevaluating his future after the World Cup? We don't know. We don't know. Mm-hmm. So stay tuned. Manchester City score early to dispatch Burnley 2-0. Robbo, it's a lot easier against teams like Burnley when you score early. And, but when I ask about that all-English front line of Jack Grealish, Phil Foden, and Raheem Sterling, I thought they looked really good. Mm-hmm. Admittedly, it's easier because it's Burnley and you yeah, scored yeah. first and whatever. But I'm wondering, is this a plan B in case something happens to Harry Kane at the World Cup? Or is this the kind of thing that really only works if you've got Kevin De Bruyne? And while Kevin De Bruyne is half English, he doesn't play for England. Uh, and you've got to remember, Sterling doesn't often play on the right-hand side, which he did particularly well uh, against Burnley. He, I mean, he created the goal when the ball was played over the top. He, he laid it back for Kevin De Bruyne. He did it for the second goal. He played a little one-two and got the cross in for Gundogan. Uh, so he played very well. Grealish, I still don't think, at the sort of performance or level he was at Aston Villa because he doesn't. He's fr- I think he's frightened of giving the ball away, so he doesn't run with it as much as he did at Aston Villa. So not quite as threatening. And Foden is playing as that, as they, as they, the position they call the false number nine, and he's doing it very. Very well, and he's, right. but that's so the answer is no. There's a lot of right. I got to say right now, if Harry Kane, something happens with Harry Kane, he's not available or whatever, or he plays badly. I think the England centre forward. If I were English, I'd want my England centre forward to be Phil Foden. Because you know what? He can drop off and create yeah, the way Harry yeah. Kane does as well. Absolutely. Okay. Now, Bayern beat up Freiburg away from home 4-1. But there's two big stories in this one, Gab. Leon Goretzka's return, and he scored a goal. And the little business of the Bavarian playing with 12 men for about 15 seconds. Yeah, I think it might have been a little more than that. But look, Goretzka is mm. huge. Goretzka yeah. and Kimmich is a great midfield. Mm. Kimmich and anybody else just doesn't work as well for no. Bayern. Yeah, they'll still beat you because there's so many great players, but it, it makes it, it's a game changer. Mm. It's a game changer for the Champions League as well. There's 12 men. Um, they Bayern put up, they made a substitution. Mm. They put up number 29, um, which is Kingsley Coleman's old number. So he was supposed to come off, but he doesn't wear number 29 anymore he now wears number 11 so that must have been the Bayern staff's fault that they still I, thought he was I number 29 I think it was Bayern's team uh, manager mm. uh, who made that mistake equally you're the fourth official you've got the team sheet oh look you know there is no 20 you know there is no 29 come on man mm. sort it out uh, there were suggestions that Bochum might protest as far as I understand the rules the correct thing is yellow card for mm. not coming off the pitch 
and that's it. So yeah. I don't think this idea of forfeiting that would be crazy. No, no, no. not for 12 seconds. Tottenham Hotspur come from behind to destroy Newcastle 5-1. Robbo, their joint fourth, at least for a few hours ahead of Arsenal's game tonight. And all right, Harry Kane didn't score, mm. but I thought he was absolutely magnificent. He is a 9 and a 10 rolled into one. He is. He is the English Benzema. Ah, uh, we were just, well, um, we, I did Benzema at the weekend, and we were talking about how Benzema comes short and dictates the play, but then arrives in the box at the right time. Harry Kane's doing exactly the same. Harry Kane's range of passing is better than Benzema's, but, I mean, when he comes short and he starts picking out those passes, particularly for Son, particularly for Kulisevsky, right. but you have to have players that are going to run beyond him. And Kulisevsky, you didn't get that much of an opportunity at Juventus. He's showing what a good player he is, and Son is still making those runs at high intensity and still showing the control with his finishes as well. I mean, Harry Kane's second half of the season is something to behold, yeah. I think. And is that because of Anto- Antonio Conte getting the best out of him? I know you maybe love Antonio the Conte. contract spill over, whatever. Oh, okay. whatever so it can't be Conte's. No, maybe it's Conte. I yeah. don't know. Another bad day for Borussia Dortmund at home to Leipzig. They lose four-one. Season's over for them, isn't it? Yeah, it's it, it's over. Um, somebody say it was been over for a while. <laughs> yeah. Look, and it's a bad season. And they're going to finish second. And it's a bad season because there's been so many low points, losing to Sam Pauli in the third mm. round of the of the Pokal, getting knocked out by Glasgow Rangers, mm. that horrendous champions in the Europa League, that the horrendous Champions League performance. But I think this is really a time to, and I know they've got more points than last year, sit back and reflect. Because what cannot happen, what must not happen at this club is to like, aha, it's Marco Rose's fault. It's Marco Rose's fault that... We defend horrendously, and this happened again in this game. Um, they had a decent first twenty minutes yeah, yeah. where they had a, a you know a lot of possession, maybe not that much cutting. Lima scored, I think, with their first shot, didn't he, for Leipzig? I think. Yeah, because guess what? It's Keystone Cops defending. Mm. Everybody, everybody goes up, and you leave. You know, he switched to a back three. You leave them with Witzel exposed. None of them are particularly quick, mm. except for uh, Akanji. There's no cover. People come from all positions, move the ball around, and they shoot on goal, time and time again. Is that Marco Rose's fault? Yeah, I think it's partly Marco Rosa's mm. fault. But you cannot say, oh, let's replace Marco Rosa with somebody else and we'll be fine. You cannot do that. You have to look at yourself. Uh, Kale, Zork, all these people, Vatske. Mm. Oh, we're the smartest time in the world. Yeah, look at all these great young players we have. Well, guess what? It's not working. You're underachieving. You're, not You're letting your fans. Robbo. 81,000 were at the 81,000. This was the first time it was a full house since pre pandemic. And, and you put in this kind of performance. They need to think about it. I think Erling Holland, 99.9% mm. is going to be gone. So think about, oh, look, that 75 million euros that we're getting from him. How are we going to spend it? How can we spend it in a smart way? Let's have a think about who our manager is going to be. If it's Rose again, what's going to help him? Stop getting like a bunch of guys who are similar to other guys who play similar positions. Take a look at your medical department because all the injuries mm. you had, mm. that was pretty ridiculous. And ask yourself, if we don't play to our level... Are we just going to end up losing people like Bellingham, like Gio Reyna when he comes back and plays consistently? Are we just going to keep losing these people? You know, already Mukoko has got one foot out the door. I mean, he was supposed to be your future, right? Still very so young. a massive club, not very well run at the moment. They're horrendously run, in my opinion. Atletico Madrid beat Alaves 4-1 and Jean-Felix steals the show. Robo, he now has six goals in his last six Liga games. Um, I think he started a little bit in, mm-hmm. in this game. You know, they... It was 1-1 with 30 minutes ago. Then he makes a substitution. Luis Suarez as well. Shout out to Pistoleo, yeah, two yes. goals. Like, but I want to ask you specifically about Joao Felix. So they may have overpaid for him. In fact, I think they definitely overpaid for him. But he's still just 22 years old. Yeah. What's his ceiling? 
He can be a top 10 player, in, in my view. He's got all the attributes. He can run with the ball. He can score goals. He can pick out passes. But they've got to play him consistently. They've got to find a, a position for him. He's playing up front at the moment alongside Griezmann. Um, I'm not sure that's going to be his best position in the years to come. I would have thought he'd have been a player that would come off the left-hand side in a, maybe a front three and, and play one-twos and that sort of stuff. But he can be a top-class player. There's no question about that. Big win for Napoli, who beat Atalanta. 3-1 away at the weekend, but no Ossiman. Yeah, but they're still in the running. They got the win. No, no, no Ossiman, no Rahmani, who's been so good for them at the back. No Di Lorenzo, that's half their starting back four out. They're playing you know, Atalanta, yep. who have shown that you know they can on their day black side, yeah. and blue. Yeah, um, and I thought Atalanta certainly had the upper hand until the penalty put put Napoli ahead. Then they added a second, and they kind of saw the game out. I think it's kind of what you need to do when you've got big players missing can out. Can Spalletti win the title? I think he can. Mm. I think he can. You know, he said, he said afterwards, you know, well, we got to make this count. You know, I'm not getting another chance to win the title after this season. Like, I'm pretty sure of that. <laughs> Most of these guys won't either. You know, like, wow. <laughs> Way to He's be not staying there, then, is he? He's not <laughs> staying. Um, but no, they're in the running and why not? Milan play mm. this evening. We'll, 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 as we record this, mm. we'll see how that goes. But, but yeah, no, it's a, it's a legit three-way race. Leeds United draw 1-1 with Southampton, but uh, Robbo, Jesse Marsh was very annoyed when his assistant substituted on the wrong player. I thought this was kind of funny. Well, I'll, I'll keep it short. Luke Aylin, the right back, went down injured uh, and didn't look as though he was going to come back on or get up. So they called the substitute down, a striker, I think it is. And Goodridge or something like that. Yeah, and then uh, he gets up and runs on and he's OK. So they then changed their mind because Liam Cooper, who's come back after a long-term injury and was starting to look as though he was struggling. So Jesse Marsh wanted to make that substitution, bring on a centre-half for Liam Cooper. But the assistant didn't get it right and gave the fourth official Luke Aylin, who then came off much to Jesse Marsh's uh, annoyance. It, it was funny because I don't know Jesse Marsh personally, but I know mm. of him. I know he's one of those Princeton guys, which kind of skews me. But Ooh, I also know, yeah. he's, you know, he's, he's, a, he's a good manager. He showed yeah. it before. Um, mm. uh, and he's one of, he's, he comes across as one of those clean-cut, nice Midwestern guys. Yeah, I think yeah. he's, believe he's from Wisconsin or, yeah. uh, or something like that. And, and yet, he was angry, so much so <laughs> that if you watch the video of him, they had to do that thing where they kind of pixelate yeah, his yeah, mouth yeah. in case some lip reader is offended by his use of industrial language. Um, the human side of Jesse Marsh. But he's going to keep leads up, right? I think so, yes. Yeah. I think they're just about good enough, and he's about good enough. Now, Roma are up to fifth in Serie A after beating Sampdoria 1-0. Gab, I presume that Marino's now sort of just got a smile on his face? I think so, because, you know, fifth is one spot higher than sixth where they were last year. And Mourinho critics will point out that they outspent mm. everybody else in Serie A and they're spending a ton of money on Mourinho. And obviously, mm. if I change managers, I expect you to, to do better. Um, I think they played reasonably well. They could have scored more. Sampdoria mm. are, I think, officially terrible. But, yeah. you know, you can only beat what's in front of you. Yeah. Tammy Abraham, not the best game. Missed a couple chances. Big goal from Mkhitaryan. Um, so, yeah, I think fifth would be, fifth or sixth, I think, is where Roma are going to end up. And Is that good enough? I mean, a jump into the top four mm. would have been difficult because yeah. other teams have improved a lot this yeah. summer. But um, I, I don't know. I don't know if they can sustain. He'll be there next year, yes? Oh, yeah, he'll definitely yeah. be back next year. He's got a contract. Yeah.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Back to Leeds, where James Ward-Prowse scored his 13th free-kick goal for Southampton. Robbo, in the Premier League era, only David Beckham, with 18, has scored more. You used to teach people how to play football, mm. literally. Mm. Now, I want to ask you, because I'm are free-kicks something that can be taught, something that can be perfected? Because I'm incomplete, because anecdotally, I hear so many stories of Juninho Pernambucano mm. go out there, like, taking, like, 500 free kicks after practice and putting them all. Mm. It doesn't seem that hard if you practice long enough, right? Well, each player has his own technique. You can teach, as a coach, you can teach the basic technique. This is how you kick the ball, and this is what you want to try and do, and this is what you're trying to achieve. But the very top free kick takers, and James Wall-Prowse is definitely one of those, has perfected his own technique. He comes from a very uh, wide position on the ball. He plays it almost with the inside of his foot, and, he, and the, the, you can see his foot actually roll up the ball as he makes the strike. And there's been all different ways of doing it. Ronaldo had a different way. You talked about Juninho doing it in a different way. Um, there's, there's lots of players that do it uh, very Gareth Bale we saw for for Wales uh, not for Real Madrid for Wales against Austria so I think he's taught himself and now he's the best in the business at doing it absolutely but, okay if you were, if you had a young kid like I always mm. wonder about this because even the best free kick trickers they'll only score two or three a season mm. right given that it's something that you can genuinely replicate given mm. that you know there's a zone of free kicks you might not get that many a game but you mm. normally will get a couple mm. chances from there mm. Would there be a benefit in just locking somebody on a training pitch with a bunch of dummies and a goalkeeper for hours afterwards and saying, yeah, make long, this automatic? Yeah. As, long as, as long as they didn't uh, uh, sort of pull their thigh muscle from over-kicking, because again, it's a, it's a technique where you have to hit the ball fairly hard. So you can only do so much of that after a, a training session. But yes, but I think it, all, it almost comes to a player that they've got that special ability and they realize that and think this is something i can build my name so it's on. more nature than nurture yeah and then they then they build it up after after a while and they carry on doing it and carry on doing it but something they pick up that other players can't do now gab you just got back from doha where you went to the world cup draw and i'm am i right in thinking that the migrant workers rights and lgbtq issues are the biggest talking points off the pitch or not I think they are. I mean, they're the ones that obviously people have the most concern about. We saw at the World Cup draw um, the president of the Norwegian FA uh, asking for time on the floor and, and, and addressing the issue of, of migrant workers' rights, recognizing that a lot's been done, but it's important that the pressure stay on. Um, like, my personal view is the situation in, in Qatar is it's not dissimilar to other countries in the Gulf, with the difference being that they've mm. passed new legislation, they've eliminated the the kafala system, which was considered by many, you know, tantamount almost a slavery because you have to kind of mm. pay ahead of time an agency to get there, and then you can't switch jobs once you're there, and that puts you in a weaker position. So that's been eliminated. Yeah. Um, there, there are workers who are, who, are, who are switching jobs, which is you know a big step forward. I mean, you talk to expats, for example, in this country, including people you know, mm. you get a visa, an employment visa in this country, you can't change jobs. You mm. got to leave the country and then get a new mm. one, right? I right. mean, so 
we can't get too high and mighty about this, I think, in the West. The reality is, if you're a migrant worker on employment visa, you've got a ton of restrictions. The working conditions, I think, is, is the other big one. Um, they've worked with trade unions. The feedback is that the situation has improved. Um, they say it's up to Western standards. I don't know. I'm not an expert mm-hmm. in this. But I think what's absolutely critical is that you can't just kind of improve things for a couple of years ahead of the World Cup. Um, there has to be a will yeah. to enforce the laws. It's great to write the laws. You have to have people who are willing to enforce the laws, to mm. to reach out, to make sure that the workers are protected, as that they have those rights that are granted them by the law, and to make sure it continues afterwards. As for LGBTQ issues, it's a big issue. Um, again, the Qataris say that everybody is welcome. Uh, they do say that public displays of affection, regardless of whether uh, it's an LGBTQ display of affection or it's uh, it's you know a man and a woman, um, those are frowned upon. It's not part of their culture. Mm. But you know we'll see how this goes. I think it's critical that um, everybody be respectful when they yes, go, cool. and it's also be crit- critical that everybody be made to feel welcome. Mm. And and I think the Qatari authorities, you know they have to ensure that nobody who goes out there who just wants to watch a football match feels unsafe or threatened um, in any way just for who they are and just for being themselves. Mo Salah is reportedly close to agreeing a new deal with Liverpool. Robo, we don't know the numbers yet, but Sadio Mane and Roberto Firmino are also out of contract in 2023. Mm -hmm. It's It's the big trifecta. Please rank them by priority as you see it. Uh, Mo Salah is the most important player, that's for sure. I mean, he's still... Is that just because he's better than the other two? He's better than the other two. Uh, Then uh, you'd go to Mane, who I still think is an outstanding player. He'll score goals. And when Salah's not playing well, he comes to the fore that little bit more. And he's he's part of the style of play that Klopp wants to use, that quick counter-attacking style of play. The ball's over the top as well. So Mane would be second. And Firmino, unfortunately... I think he's drifting away from being an important player at Liverpool. Um, it, it's interesting. I, I was just curious. The reason I put this mm. like this is I can rank them. Most mm. people would have them ranked the same way. Mm. It's just that I wonder if Firmino's skill set is so unique that in some ways, you know, he gives you something different. Mm. It is That type of player is more difficult yeah. to replace. You know, Mane's fantastic, but if Mane's not there, or even Salah, you know, Luis Diaz can do many of the mm. same things. Jota can do many of the same things. Maybe not as well or as consistently. So what would you say Firmino's different skill sets are? I say? think the ability to drop into space yeah. and link play. Could Diaz do that? I don't think you so. You don't think so? I don't, I don't think that's Can it. Jota do that? He did it for Portugal when uh, Ronaldo was playing up front against North Macedonia. Jota perhaps more so. I don't think Jota has Firmino's awareness no, or range not. of passing. Um, Firmino, when fully fit, is also really effective off the ball. Yeah. He's a pressing, pressing machine. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and a very efficient presser of the ball. Jota puts in a ton of effort too, but I don't but think could, he's on could you, could you replace him with somebody, not in the squad at the moment, but with somebody else? I'm not sure you'd be able to replace Salah and Mane, would you, with the same quality? Not with the same quality, but you can get similar type of... In fact, you could argue that maybe Diaz and Jota are the replacements mm. already there. I don't know. It, it's an interesting one. Mm. I say, look, I've said this many times. I don't think as great as these guys are, none of them deserve to be kept at any price. No. There's a right price at which you keep <laughs> Always. them. Always. Um, and and I, I think well done Liverpool for standing Because we've seen Aubameyang, who was the key player at Arsenal, and they had to keep at all costs. Yeah, Look we, what we saw how well that worked out. Yeah. Now, uh, Levante have just uh, had just eight points in the first half of the season and only won their first league game in December. But they beat Rio, 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 Villarreal at the weekend, which means they're no longer bottom. Can they stay up? 
they have 14 points in 11 games since the halfway mark, which you can say, ha, you know, that's mm-hmm. not a big deal. But is you know it, what? That is that's, that's a big deal for a team. They were right at the bottom, yeah. Um, I think they're if I, I, I think they're still six points from mm-hmm. relegation, but they have a little bit of momentum. They have an Italian manager, which I think I cover football yeah. for a living. I never heard of before this season. Who's come on? Yeah, Alessio Lisci is his yeah. name. Although in Spain they probably call him Lisci. Um, I think it's a phenomenal. They have El Comandante Morales, which I love. I think it's a phenomenal story. That I mean, this would be one of the greatest yeah. escapes. This is something we're going to talk about for a long they're time. They're not going to do it, are they? Yeah, I don't know. They got they, they got the run. Villarreal, a good side. At the request of coaches, FIFA are considering allowing 26-man squads at the World Cup, like we had at the Euros. But some coaches aren't in favour, Robbo. Can you work out why? Uh, the only reason I think they wouldn't want that many players is because they've got to try and now keep 26 players happy. Uh, there'd be a them and us situation with the squad that's picked for the games and the players that aren't picked. How well, there's pick- also a proposal to have them all on the bench, have them all Yeah, but how do you ke- some of those players will know they're not part of the team, they're not going to be getting on the pitch. How do you keep them fit? You know, when uh, with, without because you're not going to play too many games, you're going to have to practice games when you play. If you, everybody's fit and you play practice games, there's still going to be a couple of players on the side of the pitch doing nothing. That's the only reason I can think you wouldn't want a bigger squad because you'd want more to pick from, so- I would say. I, I, I spoke to uh, one of the World Cup managers mm. when I was in Doha, and he said the reason people are against it is because as the rules stand, you can still only name 20. It was like at the Euros, you, know, mm. you can only name 23 players um, for your matchday squad. So three were left. And they hated telling the three guys yeah. who were sitting out. So they're going to be unhappy. They're going to be miserable. They're going to yeah, be hard but, to motivate. Okay. Can I say something? Look, you were in dressing rooms mm. and stuff, both as a player and as a coach. I wasn't. Equally. If you're number 24, 25, and 26 on the team, are you happier being there or just sitting at home watching on television? I mean, at some point, part of your job as a manager is to go and tell yeah, people yeah, they're not starting dropping people. And frankly, I, I kind of feel if you're a national team manager and you can't go to your because mm. one of those guys may well probably be a keeper, I assume. You mm. can't go to your your twenty number twenty fourth or twenty fifth best player and say, dude. You weren't going to play anyway because I wasn't starting you. You're not going to have your ass parked on the bench. You're going to be in the stands for this game. I forget, oh no, I can't do it. It's too painful. But, oh, at he's the moment, make those all sad these eyes. managers, when you look at, listen to these Come managers talking, Gareth Southgate being one, it's all about the team spirit, the love for everybody. They all got to feel part of it. If you've got three players that aren't involved in the squad, that's I'm I'm not agreeing with with what they're oh, saying. Oh no, I, I'm that's, sure that's I, what, I'm yeah. sure you were pretty hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You probably even realized you're, not good enough, people, you're out. Yeah. Well, because in your day you had two substitutes, only two yeah. people on the bench, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, when you started, when I started, just one. Yeah, so, oi, well, was that a problem back then? No. Oi, Bob, you're not coming to our away game against Darlington this weekend. Why, why, why did Bob well, take Well, if you it? weren't in the 12, you played in the reserves. You played on the, exactly the same time on a Saturday afternoon at 3 o'clock. So it was slightly different. Right. Now, Lionel Messi has signed a reported $20 million deal to become, or $20 million deal to become global brand ambassador for Socios. Does it make sense to you, Gab? So Socios, we've talked about this before. They're... they're fan tokens mm. they're nfts non-fungible uh tokens um they you you buy them for not much money mm. and then they give you access to fan experiences and prizes and, and and so on they're spending an enormous amount of money in the game and this is making some people a little bit uneasy i think a lot of us in our reporting because we go and we confuse this with crypto which many mm. people 
don't understand and you know that some people made a lot of money and lost a lot of money on it um so it feels a bit skeevy to them i think there are legit questions to ask of socios um which also has to do with without getting too technical that their tokens are 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 backed um by a a cryptocurrency Mm. which is also owned by socios so you have some question is this maybe some something speculative um i just think if you're messy yeah 20 million dollars a lot of money you have a lot of money I don't know that you necessarily want to get because there could be a backlash to this. I don't think the world is quite ready to it. We've already seen a mm. backlash to this. I mean, Liverpool, uh, the take up of their their NFT program, mm. that's had a kind of big backlash. Arsenal are also Socio's team. Um, a lot of Arsenal supporters are like, "What the hell is this?" I mean, you know, you're only you're not paying very much money. You know, I think it's two euros. I think in most of these clubs to buy a fan token, but equally, I don't know. It hasn't had the best press. I don't know. I mean, I, I'm sure Messi did it because he genuinely believes in blockchain technology and whatnot, and not because they gave him $20 million. Ralph Rangnick has said that Manchester United board must let the next permanent manager rip up the squad in the summer if they want to challenge Manchester City and Liverpool. Thank you, Captain Obvious. He also said, which I thought was more interesting, um, that his United players lack a certain kind of physicality and aggression, and that, you know... Uh, you can take a very skillful player, but you can't make him be aggressive and physical mm. if it's not part of his DNA. Uh, I have two questions for you on this because I thought this was really interesting. Okay, I'm not going to ask you who he's talking about because I think mm. you know mm. we're going to speculate. Yeah, yeah. Well, assume it's Marcus Rashford, right? right. Um, but the other thing is, there's ways to win games without being physical and aggressive, mm. right? Um, that's just how Rangnick won games, mm-hmm. and he became a great manager because of it. So if you don't have a squad filled with those types of players, why are you hiring a manager that demands that? Mm. Well, absolutely right. You, there's, there's two ways. When a new manager comes in or a manager takes over, he, he either says, I'm going to do it my way, and I've got to get the players to buy into it, which you can't always do, as he's now saying, well, actually, the players aren't physically fit enough or strong yeah, I'm enough. I'm sure he mentally. knew that when he took over. Yeah, exactly. So, so he's got to come up with something different. Or you take over a club and look at the players who, who you have available and say, what style of play will suit the players until I can get the players in that I want? So I think he's probably gone about it the wrong way and he's now probably upset most of the squad by, or quite a lot of the squad, by saying the players need to be uh, ousted and the new manager come in, he's got to get rid of most of the players. I don't think he's done himself any favours there. Ralph, no, I mean, look, he doesn't, he doesn't name names, right? But I, I would assume that... But know, by not naming names, everybody can think they're, well, they're part of it. Based on his track record and the yeah. players he's had success with and the players that Leipzig mm. bought, he favours young, fast aggressive mm. players right mm. those are the mm. guys he generally had that would rule out cristiano ronaldo mm. that would rule out cavani fernandez bruno fernandez definitely yeah um rashford you know maybe on the aggression side i'm assuming he puts rashford with them because he mm. doesn't play, play the guy yeah. even when everybody's out um i don't know that it's helpful to come out and say that no, but not. the way i read it though is ralph you're speaking the truth you know this is what i do as a manager you knew that. To me, this is another indictment of the club's mm. recruitment policy. Yeah, yeah. And again, and I don't know how big a role Murta and Fletcher played in bringing him in. You know, we've always said, I've always defended them as like, they've only been in the job a year, let's see what they do. But if he was there, if it was their decision to bring him in, you either commit uh, to him uh, yeah. and keep him around next season, or 
it's not somebody who you have as an interim manager because you can tell that what he wants is completely different from the players you have. But I imagine when he was when he was interviewed for taking the job, they'd have said to him, what style of football? Do you think you can get your style of football out of these players? And I bet he said, yes, I can. I'll make them faster. I'll make them stronger. I'll make them more aggressive. I'll make them a better team. They're going to be pressing the ball. The crowd are going to love it. We're going to play attacking football. And he hasn't been able to do it. Yeah, because when you go to a job interview, you say, hey, can you do the job? You would say, uh, no, I can't. Well, he, or you would say, well, but you need a lot of new players. And you have to be honest at times, not just take the job and then, then moan about it afterwards. Now, Dinamo Kev uh, will play a series of friendlies against Barcelona, PSG and Milan to help raise funds for Ukraine. Gab, football is coming together, isn't it? Yeah, I think this is a great initiative. It's, it's obviously it's about raising funds. It's about raising awareness mm. as well. I... I'd love to see other football clubs do it. I don't quite know the dynamic because mm. surely there's some footballers who, you know, because of the war, have or who happen to be mm. Ukrainian, have maybe been pressed into military duty or, or, or mm. aren't able to do it. But I think it's critical that those who can, who are free to do it, I, I, can, I, I don't even know where they are. I, I should mm. find out um, that they have the opportunity to, to train. The ones who who aren't on the home mm. front defending mm. the country, that they have the opportunity to train, the opportunity to raise awareness for this. Mm. Um, and this is another way that football can support them. And and, and well done, uh, PSG, Milan, and Barcelona. Yeah. Uh, to be honest, if whatever team I supported, I don't care if it's Zoria, Luhansk, or some no-name team, you know, I would buy a ticket to go watch them against my team mm. just to go and, and, and support cool. yeah. this effort um, because there's it's, a massive humanitarian yeah. crisis there. Holland boss Louis van Gaal has revealed that he is battling prostate cancer and until recently kept it from his players. Robbo, our thoughts are with him. Absolutely. Um, let's hope that he does recover. I know lots of people that have had prostate cancer and recovered and been fine afterwards. Um, but yeah, yeah, he's a great coach. Let's hope it all works out for him. Wasn't at the uh, World Cup draw in, 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 Dro- in Doha, I think partly because of Now here's one for you. Jack Grealish is on the verge of signing a seven-figure deal with Gucci. You've got a contract with Armani, is that true? Yes, as you can tell, <laughs> copious amounts of, of Armani. No, my, my style leans uh, differently. More casual? More Carhartt, I would say. Okay. Um, that kind of stuff. But no, look, um, I don't know. I, I'm, not, I'm not an expert in luxury goods. I am, I'm not a fan of the Gucci fan, although I, uh, the Gucci brand, although I'm a mm-hmm. big fan of, of Gaga. And in fact, I watched... I watched uh, the film, not a good film. Yeah, I, th- I thought the film was okay. I watched she was it good, on my, but I wasn't on my way to Doha. Um, but yeah, to me, I know it's an Italian brand or used to be an Italian brand. To me, it's always a little Gucci's a little bit cheesy. It is. A little bit nouveau for my taste. Mm. But anyway, that brings us to an end. Thank you so much for filling always in a for pleasure. Jules. Um, but he's going to be back on Thursday to the delight of the millions and millions of Julian Lawrence fans out there. Until then, love the game, love your neighbor, love yourself. 